Hi everyone, this is Serena, founder and director of Breaking Taboo. Today I'm sitting here with Matt Dempsey, who's a multicultural counselor and psychotherapist. Hi Matt, how are you? Hi Serena, I'm good, how are you? Good, good. How are you staying sane during quarantine? Oh, wow. Well, there's so many tools to draw from. <laughs> um, I mean, big mostly, question. Big question, right? Yeah. I mean, in general, it's mostly about just uh, just kind of leaning into it. It's kind of like soaking up some of the downtime and just like relaxing and, you know, for sure having some drinks with friends too. So that helps. Oh, great. I know. <laughs> Alcohol sales have actually skyrocketed. Has it really? I mean, that's not surprising, but yeah. Yeah. I, didn't know I, that. I think I read that uh, about the second week or so of quarantine. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People yeah, are just yeah. sitting home drinking. <laughs> I've been watching, you know, uh, some Instagram videos of uh, making drinks, people like making giant margaritas. Oh, yeah. Really? It's just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> what about you how have, how have you been hanging in there um well i've actually been busier than ever yeah. so yeah so um i don't know i guess i'm one of those that took advantage of the time and was just like all right i'm just gonna start a whole bunch of things that i've always wanted to do including you know this podcast audio video podcast is one of them um, yeah oh, cool yeah take on a whole bunch of new projects you know and uh it's just i hardly have time but i i do make I make it a point to have one day of the week yeah. to do nothing and oh, um, or hang out with friends or socialize or just, you know, uh, recharge my battery. So yeah. I do that at least once a week. Um, sometimes if I'm lucky, twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that's what I want to do. Although uh, I'm going to take a vacation, I think, um, next oh. next month. Nice. So I hear be, you. It's needed, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. We can't just work all the time. You know, I think I just did a no. post on this. Yeah, the other day is like uh, our society is so work driven. Um, oh, yeah, fully. One of my favorite quotes is stop the glorification of busy because that's so very much our culture is to just continue to reward the hustle. Everybody's hustling. Everybody's reaching and grasping and you know, just trying to like get the next like thing, you know, yeah. and uh, I don't know, I, that's kind of what I think. This is kind of my own perspective on it. This is my positive spin that I'm putting on the coronavirus and this whole pandemic is that this is a time to help all of us kind of sit down for a little bit, right? It's kind of mm -hmm. nice when we have maybe some projects that we can maybe tackle, oh, but yeah. otherwise learning how to get still and just kind of vegging, chill. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think what happened, hold on, let me just drop this mic a little, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think what happened uh, for me was, um, you know, the very, the first month I was a little down. Yeah. I was definitely a little down and, uh, you know, it was just, um, yeah, I mean, we had to cancel our plans and I, I think I, I had plans to travel this year. That was a yeah. big part of my agenda and Same. I've been, yeah, and I've been, um, you know, designing my life so I can, you know, work more uh, remotely mm -hmm. um, so that I can travel and do do things, you know, work um, in other countries and you yeah. know, I was going to go to Costa Rica and Portugal and Oh, Bali. nice. Oh, all yeah. the places. All the Amazing. places. All the places I can't go. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I was a little down, but you know what actually helped me, which is interesting. It was actually um, TikTok. 
Oh, okay. Oh, you got on the TikTok bandwagon. <laughs> For the first time ever. Oh, nice. I was like, all right. One day I'm lying in bed. I'm like, let me see what this is. So I yeah. go on. And I was really surprised. There were people just like having a good time around the whole coronavirus thing yeah. and making, making fun, creative, funny videos that, you know, everyone can relate to and, and just yeah. made me laugh. And I started to laugh about it uh, rather than, you know, after a month of taking it so seriously and being down about it, it's like, you yeah. know, the laughter was very much welcome. So I do believe in the power of social media. I know that yeah. it's um, controversial in a lot of people, especially people that didn't grow up <laughs> with social right. media, you know, have conflicting opinions. But as you know, with Breaking Taboo, um, you know, we try to make it, you know, positive and, and uh, inspirational and actually help people. Yeah. And I've experienced it firsthand with TikTok, you know, even mm -hmm. just with silly videos. I know you do the same as well. I right? do. I do. I love hearing about your experience on TikTok because I have been considering checking it out, but I haven't really gotten there yet. And I've still just been kind of living on Instagram and doing right. kind of my thing there and making some videos and, and posting some stuff around kind of, you know, like mental health support, stuff like that, especially during this time. But what's interesting is that my experience on Instagram is very different. TikTok sounds like it's playful and fun. Instagram has been kind of like on the heavier side. Oh, interesting. And, uh, yeah, so I think there's a, I think there's a balance to be had in there somewhere. So I think maybe I can kind of uh, like dip my toe in the TikTok. Oh, well, we can we can absolutely relate actually because we've been trying to figure out what the heck to put on TikTok ourselves. You know, after the oh, first yeah. week I joined it, I texted my my whole team. I'm like, hey, you know, when well, my social media team, I'm like, hey, let's let's do the social media. Let's let's get on TikTok. Let's try to you know humanize. I think it's important to humanize um, yes. people behind the scenes, especially yeah. being a nonprofit and whatever. Like people often, there's some people on Instagram I think who think we're just an Instagram page. They don't even know we're oh, a nonprofit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So I'm like, hey, let's get on TikTok too. Like, this is great. Like, we can just that. have fun and like just be ourselves and post a bunch of random videos. And then we just never really got around to it. <laughs> <laughs> but now you did, right? This is, that's well, this we did for like you. a week. And then, you know, it's like, we just have so much other stuff to do and they are more serious. So we- Oh, you mean you're, you're personal. You personally started a TikTok. No, I from mean Breaking Taboo. Oh, got it. Okay. Which is hard because, yeah, how are you going to, yeah, it's been very difficult for us to figure out how are we, how, what content do we post on TikTok? Because like you yeah. said, it is very silly and the subject of mental health, you know, I mean, although I do think that, you know, we're obviously trying to normalize it and, and put a, a, a lighter spin on it. It doesn't always have to be, you know, really totally. drastic and heavy and something I people wanna, don't want to talk I about. I 100% agree with that. I mean, that's just kind of my approach to any kind of content that I can put out there anyway, is I want to be able to talk about real things, but also we can kind of be light. Like we can kind of laugh a little too at times. It doesn't have yeah. to be so clinical and dry and heavy that it can still just be really approachable and digestible for people. Yeah. And I think it's important for you you as a psychotherapist also to humanize that I mean yeah. so many people and and that's what you know I'm trying to do with this podcast as well is just like show people behind the scenes either way whether they're going through a mental health issue yeah. or whether they're on the other side and helping people with mental health struggles you're not like in a lab coat you're not yep. you know <laughs> scrutinizing yeah. people with like you know it's you're real not people a, doing the work shrink right yeah, yeah. exactly yeah exactly you're you're a human too so so with that said I'm very mm. curious to hear about your experiences as <laughs> <laughs> <It's> coming <laughs> with my experiences with what specifically okay so first of all um tell me okay 
define psychotherapists. What for all those who don't know, there's a lot of different types of therapies. Ah, so, uh, yeah. So there's first a, of all, what is psychotherapy? <laughs> what is psychotherapy? It's a popular question. Psychotherapy is really just kind of the broad umbrella term for what you would think of with talk therapy, kind of just like coming in, speaking for about 45 minutes to an hour to somebody, generally once a week or however. Um, however frequently, and just being able to talk about what's going on in your life, stresses, issues that are coming up in relationships, all that kind of stuff. So that's psychotherapy. There's all these different kinds of specific, you know, certifications and licenses and things like that that help people be a psychotherapist, but in a general sense, it's talk therapy. Is it, um, uh, is there a lot of Sigmund Freud <laughs> type, like Freudian <laughs> psycho? Because he's a father of psychoanalysis, you know? He so. is, yeah. So psychoanalysis, it's or kind of- we call him the father of psychology. The father actually, of psychology, yeah. Sigmund Freud, that's right. Um, so he is, uh, you know, you know, kind of spearheaded what's kind of more of like modern day psychoanalysis, right? And mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of that, that that's out there, but that's just kind of, uh, I would say one branch of psychotherapy that it's not, it's not always necessarily that I would say personally though, I mean, probably one of the things that I take the most from that kind of, uh, that kind of work, especially kind of the psychodynamic work is just understanding about how the earliest relationships in our, it sounds so cliche, but like the earliest relationships in our lives really do set the tone for so much of the other relationships that we have in our right. lives. So giving that context, but I'm not a psychoanalyst where, you know, you come in three times a week and you lay down and you just kind of free associate and talk the whole time and we're dredging up all mommy and daddy issues. I'm like, that's not me. <laughs> that's there's not you. Okay. That's not me. There's a, <laughs> there's a flavor of family stuff in there, but that's about it. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. Well, I know that you are a multicultural counselor. So what is that? And what's the difference <laughs> between that and psychotherapy? I know, I know. So a lot of people, a lot of people are curious about that. So Michael, uh, multicultural, multiculturalism, uh, especially within uh, psychotherapy, this is basically understanding that, you know, we live in like a multicultural world, right? Especially in a multicultural country. So there's a lot of diversity. Um, and with that then means that we all have a variety of cultural identities, right? So for me, I'm a uh, young, white, gay, cis, man, able-bodied, you know, so those are, those are some of kind of like what we call my salient identities, kind of the more uh, significant ones. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like the interaction of all those different identities and all the cultural experiences that I've had with those identities, both marginalized and also of privilege, that, you know, makes me understand uh, or, or makes or kind of creates the beliefs that I have for myself, about myself, and then informs how I move through the world. Mm -hmm. um, so when we become more conscious of how those cultural experiences affect us, then we can start to challenge some of the negative and irrational thinking and be able to elevate ourselves and achieve more of what we want and that kind of stuff. So that's, that's kind of, um, that's what I would say kind of dominates the therapy I do. It's not singularly that I kind of pull, I'm kind of eclectic and pull from a few different, uh, mm -hmm. a few different backdrops of therapy, but yeah, that's what multiculturalism is. Okay, so um, how much does that actually come into play, uh, your multicultural training and, and um, issues like when you're actually dealing with your clients? Yeah, I would say pretty regularly, um, mm -hmm. but also, I mean, this is kind of, I, I tend to work um, kind of uh, mostly with gay men. That's just kind of mm -hmm. like the content that I put out, I, honestly, just because it's, I'm a gay guy. And so it's, it's actually like kind of the only marginalized experience I have. So. I'm always curious about how much that has affected me. So I've just, I've put a lot of content out there speaking to that experience as being gay, growing up gay. 
And right. so as a result, I'm getting a lot of gay clients, like a lot of gay male clients. Right. Well, you um, could probably relate, you know, you can probably relate oh, better to your clients. And For sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so it comes, so it comes up a lot, you know, in a way that I, that I'm helping my clients understand, you know, how that experience and, you know, being marginalized in that way can shape us far more negatively than we even realize. Like right. as an example, growing up gay, you kind of think like, oh yeah, sure. I grew up gay. I was bullied, you know, uh, made to feel like I was less than somehow, but you know, I came out of the closet and now I'm fine. Right. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, not exactly. Let's start <laughs> to understand. There's kind of like this next level, right? About the nuanced ways that shame can come up in our lives and make us feel like we're not enough. Mm. Now, I'm obviously talking about the experience of being gay, but it can be for um, any kind of marginalized identity, you know. Oh, actually, yeah. Even I can relate as totally, a yeah. up, um, Asian uh, American. Exactly. People and... of color, mm -hmm. right? It, racism has an effect on us. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, sure. yeah. There are always things that um, uh, people don't really talk about, but they, you know, they think it's in the back of their minds or, you know, it's um, their experiences from childhood. Um, yeah. Like, you know, uh, a prejudice or something that like, yeah, it definitely has an effect, um, I think. And it's important to, to speak out about this stuff. So, um, yeah. so, I mean, I know that um, mental health and uh, particularly the subject of suicide. So we're getting a little heavy yes. here, but yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So um um the so suicide definitely has a, a huge effect um in the gay population. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh suicide uh suicidality, suicide cases. And yeah. um you know would you say I mean Obviously, there's a whole fitting into society and the prejudice and things that that you know really has a profound effect and the bullying that yes. you know people don't even think about, but those have a profound effect on a person's mental and emotional well-being for the rest yeah. of their lives. You know, mm -hmm. would you say that's like mostly the reason why, or like from your experience, um, why do you think? Um, and also, if you could educate us a little bit on the statistics of suicide and, and mental health. And totally. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not your stats guy, so I'm not going to be pulling from very concrete statistics, but I will tell you that it's a disproportionately higher rate of suicidality amongst, you know, uh, gay people, queer people, um, right. things like that. So, and it really has so much to do with not just the um, kind of overt and explicit forms of homophobia and bullying, things that you think of, right? Mm -hmm. um, so kind of like picking on people, beating, uh, beating queer people up or anything like that. Um, that obviously can be some of the most significant ways that that can have a, ne a negative effect, uh, effect on how we feel about ourselves and then how we kind of, you know, move through the world. Um, but it's so much of these kind of nuanced experiences, the kind of more subtle forms of homophobia that exist out there, like ways that, um, I mean, just the fact that, you know, um, looking at uh, the kind of, you know, movies and TV and other content that's out there is dominated by, you know, kind of heterosexism and straight people and straight relationships and mm -hmm. any gay characters even are just kind of more of like an offshoot. It's not really things that kind of take center stage um, as that regularly. so interesting. I have the same experience being Asian American. Exactly, yes. Yeah, like so. I literally, I, I mean, I, I like I watch movies and TV and I'm always like, 
um, I think I was just watching a, a, a recent one, um, Cursed, and, and I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this is really great. There's so many multicultural things yeah. here, and they do address um, being gay. You know, there are gay characters leading, the, uh, yeah. one of the leading females is gay. And I was like, this is really great. King Arthur is black. Like, I love this show. But then I was like, wait a second. Why are there no Asians in here? And then why are the only wow. two Asians, like, why are they weird green people, like, hiding the color of their skin? And it's <laughs> yeah. just like, why are they so weird and, like, odd and they don't even really have like a human totally. role yeah so that is so interesting yeah it's all of those subtle messages right and you know right. again i'm kind of talking specifically about like through the gay lens but it's really every marginalized identity right so like what you're talking about with um kind of the asian population i'm talking about the gay population but i mean really anything that's kind of not like set as like the, the societal standard or no or norm that kind of like gold star right mm -hmm. um and so kind of it's like interesting because when you think about like what what that even is like who has like the who has like the absolute most privilege you yeah, would probably who? yeah i would probably <laughs> say it would be a young straight uh cis male who's able-bodied and did I cover most of them? I think those are the <laughs> those are the big ones. So like that person is living in privilege, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But so anything that anything that kind of diverges from that then, right? Like anything that's an offshoot or, or is marginalized through those mm. cultural identities and experiences, then it's like, yeah, like it messes with you, you know? And so it messes with you again, um, not even in, not even just in some of the most obvious ways, but the, the subtle ways, the kind of nuanced ways that that happens. So it's all that me societal messaging that tells you that you're not enough. And that influences how we feel about ourselves. So that's why we have to start paying attention to that and be aware of it. Mm, interesting. So do you experience that a lot like in your clients is, um, um, do people come to you with feelings of not being enough? And oh my God, yes! I can guarantee every any person that comes through my door, any person, I can tell you exactly how that goes right back to a sense of not being enough. Oh, that wow. it's shame. That it's an issue of self-esteem. Any, you give me any problem, I'll tell you exactly how it comes down to that. Wow. I mean, I I discovered in my own therapy actually that um my uh that that growing up that was a message that i was told but not necessarily through society through my right. culture through my parents like how because, so okay so uh in the asian culture uh, parents are very very uh strict and very much like oh go to ivy leagues go do this like there's a yeah. standard there's like a straight line that yeah. that you're supposed to walk you know and it's very i know it's very stereotypical but you know that was mm -hmm. very much my stereotypical life growing up and um you know and it was a very much a straight non-creative path that i you know fought <laughs> kind yeah. of my entire life and um and, but if you don't reach these standards if you don't mm -hmm. get straight days if you don't get like 100 percent on all your tests if wow. you don't reach ivy leagues if you don't get you know uh 1500 or above an sats or you know better yet a 1600 Whoa, i would yeah. not make it in the asian community <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i actually had a friend who did get a 1600 you know and all the yeah. asian parents were like wow. oh like this is great like why can't you be more like him that's when the sats was uh, measured by 1600 it's like 2400 yes. now yes I, is that, I don't even understand <laughs> it now you know i was like yeah and it, but you know but it's ridiculous also because you know um i i did grow up in a rather privileged uh 
uh, social economic um, yes. society later on in life, you know, so it was interesting. I got to experience that too, a place where, you know, you bring your kids to take SAT uh, classes mm -hmm. so that they can do better in SATs. And I'm always like, totally. is this kind of cheating? You know, I remember always <laughs> thinking like, wait, but what about all the kids that can't afford this? You know, don't they? Yeah. yeah so and that is privilege. Yeah, that's privilege. Right, right. So sometimes I do wonder with the multicultural thing too, how much of this is because of culture, you know? Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? How, wait, how much of what is culture? What <laughs> you just said? Yeah. No, I mean, like, how much of, for example, um, you were talking about measuring up. So these yes. nuances, you know, these are yeah. all nuances, right? So measuring up, being good enough, whatever. I had uh, come to believe, um, and this is the first time I'm hearing with you, that it's, I mean, it's, it's because of, um, something such as race for me, you know, yeah. for me, um, for you, it's because you're gay. And for mm -hmm. me, it's because of my race. And when I was younger, um, you know, uh, the things that I experienced uh, might have later on affected me as a society being like Asian American in America. That's what you're yeah. saying. But I actually thought that it was because of uh, growing up within my race. Totally. Within my so culture, I, yeah. So I would say, yeah, so, you know, I think when people say culture, you kind of think about it like on a societal kind of uh, national level, right? Mm -hmm. um, but culture just really just kind of means like the kind of whatever our uh, set of standards or norms within a group. And right. so, um, so if you're talking about, you know, in your family, that's the culture of your family. If you're talking right. about in the Asian community, it's the culture of the Asian community. If you're talking about, say, something like, you know, the U.S., then that's going to be the culture of a nation, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, so there is kind of all these varying levels of, of culture, but it's taking into account kind of all of that, that when, you know, kind of outside of us as individuals, how we then can, you know, compare and contrast ourselves and what we view as our worth you know, depending on what a certain culture or a group is suggesting is a gold standard and where we fall in line because of that. So, it's, right, so that's what right, I mean right. when I say culture. Yeah, I see. Yeah, absolutely. Because there can be many different types of culture for every individual that they yeah. grow up in, whatever is basically you're saying like the, the norm of what they uh, what they have experienced growing up. Right. Yeah. So let's take that. Let's take that to be the privileged culture. Let's take. Let's okay. Like, yeah. So what what. Um, Okay, so so uh, would it be something like um, the stereotypical privileged white male, uh, uh, higher socioeconomic, you know, mm -hmm. in America, um, and if they were, say, to rebel and not, I don't know, like, um, go want to be a rapper or something do you think that would be the the um deviant from the norm and what they have to deal with i mean what what types yeah yeah so i would say it's not necessarily there's a need to kind of deviate from a norm or a standard per se i think that it becomes all of our um responsibility in the sense of our own mental health and well-being to be able to understand the uh cultural experiences that we have. So for somebody, I'll use myself as an example, aside from being gay, I'm, I'm, I'm entirely privileged, right? So, 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 so what are some of the challenges that a, 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 an entirely privileged person so, might go I mean, Yeah, some of the challenges is that, you know, I mean, you kind of, I mean, first of all, it's not to say that you're still not just going to have challenges in life. I of mean, course. there's still everyday kind of normal struggles, you know, that can come up. So these things are going to happen. But being particularly aware of even how a privileged experience can mess with your 
sense of worth in an authentic way, right? So if I'm kind of being hit from every single angle with the world around me telling me that just who I am is automatically enough and automatically okay, mm -hmm. then I'm assuming that everything that just is external to me is what makes me valuable and it's not. And so it can make it challenging for me to have a sense of what my actual legitimate authentic worth is in a way that can help support me exploring, you know, just kind of more of the interests and the passions that I have and, you know, putting the effort into expressing my heart and things like that in a way that continues to elevate my sense of self and, you know, connect with other people in more meaningful ways. Because otherwise, mm -hmm. then again, if I'm just like entirely privileged, I might have all this messaging that says, I don't really need to do anything. Like the world mm. is just going to be handed to me on a silver platter. And so then I'm not participating in my own life. And then I wonder why I'm not connecting with people in more meaningful ways. I get resentful of people for not, you know, showing up how I want them to when that's not happening. So even in the most privileged of experiences, there mm -hmm. still can be challenges that can come up. So it's about just recognizing that, deconstructing that and participating in a more conscious multicultural society and just life. Right, absolutely. Uh, instead of um, falling into the stereotypes, uh, becoming more um, aware of your own individuality and your own yeah. identity and exactly. what makes you happy. Yeah, so um, I think it's also interesting because, you know, um, I, I do know people of the uh, quote privileged <laughs> yeah. um, a stereotype and they have their own set of challenges and battling mm -hmm. that stereotype from the outside world as well because some people just look at them and automatically think that um oh what do you know you're just like this privileged you know able yeah. and you know and, <laughs> and they're they're constantly battling that too so i've seen it from the other side as well um where they don't feel like they're enough because they don't because you know they don't have um something that is uh, unique or special or or outside of right yeah <laughs> so, very totally, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so uh, back to what you, <laughs> sorry, we're like going on a whole time. That's okay. Again. I love it. I love it. And isn't that just life so messy and all over the place? <laughs> right, right. Well, that's breaking taboo on a variety of, of all different topics. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so what are some of the taboos that you come across uh, in, in dealing with um, your typical clientele that, that uh, people are afraid to talk about that you see as a common problem. Um, oh, wow, taboos. You know, it's interesting that you've been framed it that way because I, I haven't necessarily thought about it in that context specifically. But I guess I would say that, especially in my practice, so with the clients that I work with, like, as I said, it tends to be dominated by gay men specifically, gay cis men specifically. And so um, I think the thing that comes up a lot is just the, I, it can be particularly difficult to tap into the emotion of things. And I think that that's probably common for a lot of people, but especially for men um, and especially for gay men that grow up in a world that says, if you're a man, then you have to be manly in these, you know, these specific ways, the kind of, um, you know, traditional sense of like masculinity and macho and, you know, that's what you have to be. And that does not include expressing emotion or even identifying that you have a lot of emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Because that would be viewed as too kind of feminine, right? And so as a gay man, then there's this tendency or this kind of uh, what feels to be a need to have to overcompensate and be even that much more kind of macho and not, you know, sissy and, you know, uh. I think a lot of this is starting to change, but especially with a lot of the clients that I work with, I mean, we grew up in a world that really kind of pushed that idea and that message that you have to be more of a man. So it makes it very difficult to tap into the fact that, that 
I need love and I feel lonely and I get sad and I'm like really scared about my ability to connect with other people or to, you know, have a more fulfilling life or that people even see me or care about me or, you know, it's all that kind of stuff that we don't want to not even just admit, but even own ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's just kind of a disconnect. So I would say that's probably the taboo, which is, yes, I have shame and I have fear. And these are things that actually, you know, kind of push me around a little bit and, uh, it's difficult to acknowledge that. So how do you typically um, deal with that? What would your advice be for others out there who are dealing with that? I mean, I mean, the way that I deal with it is I just get vulnerable myself, you know, like I'll talk about my own fears, you know, I think that right. people want experience over advice. So just getting to model what some of these things look like, you know, mm -hmm. and for me to get to talk about like the fear that, you know, I'm not enough and, um, and, you know, I'm not doing enough or performing enough or I don't make enough money or, you know, I don't have enough kind of uh, content that I'm putting out there so that people can know that I'm hustling and working hard and that I deserve mm -hmm. things. Like that's some of the stuff that comes up for me that I'm constantly having to check in on. You know, mm -hmm. those are real fears that come up for like even today thinking about like, oh man, I haven't made a video since like last week. Man, I really need to like put something out there. Like oh, <laughs> people are gonna unfollow me. They're not gonna this, care anymore. You can put this out there. <laughs> I'll put this out there, great, okay, good. So that's one way, right? Being more productive. Right, but the other right. way too is also just checking in on where these expectations are coming from. You right. know, like these expectations have to overshoot and overperform come from a belief that I'm not enough at a baseline, right? Mm -hmm. And so instead of just trying to hustle and push myself even more, I can also just check in with myself about how much I'm telling myself this bullshit narrative mm -hmm. so that I can actually rewrite the story myself. Right. So where is that coming from for you? Um, a big part of it is just growing up gay, for sure, for sure, for mm -hmm. sure. So like growing up and, you know, and um, I'm being told that that wasn't manly and uh, yeah, just I mean just growing up and just knowing like you know if you're gay you're not enough if you're mm. if you're gay there's something wrong with you you should be ashamed of it I mean mm. I remember like wishing I wasn't gay when I was younger I remember probably I was probably about maybe about 14 or 15 years old and this is just one story of as, as an example but 14 or 15 years old and I was at this lakeside resort that I went to with uh, my family every every summer and you know, we're there and everybody's having a great time and having fun and whatever. And I just remember that's like when I was really starting to confront it, right? Like mm -hmm. I might be gay and I can't stop thinking about it. And I would see like the lifeguards at this lake and they're like cute, tight red shorts, you know, the guys mm -hmm. like, <laughs> I feel so tortured. I'm so attracted to them, but I felt such shame. Like, it, and it got dark, like it would get dark for me. And so it's just like, oh, no. wow, just being who I am. Just yeah. being exactly and existing exactly as I am makes me feel such dirty, dark shame and depression. Mm -hmm. So that that lingers. And even after I got to a point where a couple of years after that, I you know finally came out and I started living my life openly and was out to everybody and had a lot of support around me, even in the best case scenario where that happens, right? I'm very fortunate, had a lot of support, including my family and parents. Even that, it's still has a negative effect on me, you know, to just see, you know, for the longest, I wasn't even able to get married to another man, you know, like that mm. wasn't even an option, you know, mm. so it's like, when the government doesn't even view you as a whole human being with equal rights, how are you supposed to acknowledge that yourself? So that's a wow. difficult task. And I think that it's achievable. And that's where the work lies. But that's where it comes from. I think that that is so interesting, because um, I'm uh, not uh, as familiar, obviously, as you are with the gay community, but um, I am somewhat familiar because I used to teach anti-prejudice courses, and oh, um, 
um, uh, and I, I am somewhat familiar with a, you know, a multiculturalism as a whole, yeah. but I also have a lot of friends who are black from the black community. And a lot of the things you just said, uh, really resonated with me with like what I hear from them with their experiences yeah. with feeling like, you know, um, and I'm just with any, any society that is of a minority yeah. in uh, America. I mean, I'm sure the Asian community feels this as well, Latinx, you know, um, but what you just said about feeling like being yourself is not enough like that there's something dirty or wrong with you or not right just because you are the way you are because you are of black skin or you're gay or you know asian skin or whatever so that is just so interesting so I mean, how do you think we can work on, um, and I know there's no right answer, but if we were to brainstorm, what are some ways that we can work on um, uh, uh, changing this, on, um, you know, turning this, um, uh, seeing, um, and I know it's a big issue, especially nowadays, and, and, you know, people are trying, but are they doing the right things? Are they trying in the right ways? You know, for example, my, my example with the show Curse, it's just like, they're trying, right? You're missing the mark, but you're trying, right? <laughs> I, that's what I, I mean, listen, that's just, that's just, you know, the human experiences. We're never going to do anything perfectly. Um, right. And so I think, you know, it's a very large question with a whole lot of kind of long nuanced kind of answers to it. But I guess maybe what I could say uh, in short, at least, is in a collective way, I think there's so much of that that's that has been going on and continues to go on, of course, right now, especially with everything that happened with George Floyd and the resurgence of the Black Lives uh, Matter movement, you know, kind of even uh, more than it had been. Um, All of these things are really, really, really kind of present for us now, which is wildly challenging and uncomfortable and conflicting, but also really incredible opportunities for us to be able to dig even deeper than we have before. And that's what we need to do. You know, it's not just about, you know, kind of passing, you know, legislation to make sure that everybody has like, quote unquote, equal rights. It's about understanding how there is so much discrimination that continues to go on, how much there's so much, you know, um, implicit bias and uh, latent you know, racism or homophobia or xenophobia or misogyny or ableism or ageism or all these things to be able to really unpack a lot of these kind of nuanced multicultural identities and become aware of all of these things so that we then can start, you know, kind of doing the work that we need to do. But I mean, I think so collectively, that's what we need to do. And I think that's amazing. I'm actually reading this book, uh, Cast, right now. It's one of Oprah's uh, book club picks that you just okay. picked. And it's so good. It's so good. It's talking specifically not just about racism, but about the caste system. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of breaks things down. It, it's it's not kind of like a kind of like a drum beating rah rah about racism. That kind of more emotionally influenced perspective on things. It really dives into kind of like the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of a caste system and about how like the history that we've had in our country and how that plays out. But then also about how these things affect us as individuals. So I would say on an individual level, being able to understand how we're a part of our society and how we ourselves have been influenced and how we have our, all of our own both marginalized and privileged identities and experiences to own and to be able to understand without over-identifying 
with those things, right? Absolutely. So that we don't, yeah, so we don't get defensive about it. But oh yeah, absolutely, right. yeah. I mean, that was beautiful. That was absolutely beautiful what you just said. And I think you you just hit something very interesting at the end there, where you said, um, you know, without over identifying. But I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we are who we are, and we do have to identify with that, yes. and you know, honor it, and honor our backgrounds and our roots, and you know, um, who we are, uh, 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 like everything that makes us us as individuals but then where is the over identifying like where do you think like where do you draw that line well i mean i would say even in the most basic kind of psychological sense are you know our thinking our feelings our actions right it's like the abcs of psychology our affect our feelings our behavior and then our cognitions our thinking so it's those it's kind of those three main components of our psychology that um obviously as human beings we all have or we all do but that's not the heart of who we are necessarily, right? Like I am not my thinking. I am not my feelings. I am not the actions that I do. I'm accountable and responsible for those things, mm-hmm. but, I, but I'm not those things. That's not my identity. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a really important thing to be able to help you know, create some space between who I am and those things. That way I'm not that's over, so ident- I identify with them, but mm-hmm. I don't over identify. And when I don't over identify with them, then that means that they're malleable. That means that I can start to make some changes. If I over identify with these things, then I'll, I'll never let them go because I'll feel like I'm forfeiting who I am. And we don't want to ever do that as humans. So giving ourselves that space gives us an opportunity to make positive change. So then if you, if we aren't, um, cause I'm just thinking and you know, yeah. this is just me playing devil's advocate, but you totally, know, there's yeah. a, <laughs> there's a school of thought where it's, um, what well, well, Shakespeare said, we are what we think you are. Right. And then there's school of thought. You are what you do, yes. you know? Um, yeah. so if we're not those things, if we're not our behaviors, our cognition yeah. and our, yes. uh, and our actions, like yes. what are we? <laughs> oh my god so existential listen i'm not gonna lie to you i don't know that i have a really definitive concrete answer for that either and, and i mean in kind of the most like i don't know spiritual well, you, or creative way clients with like i'm sure a lot of them come in with um identity issues right and like right. You know, who am i yes How, you know um now i have this identity of being gay and like you know trying to figure out where i am in this world yeah. so what do you tell them like how do they figure that out? <laughs> I mean, listen, I would just say, like, I just, I just think that we are our hearts, right? Like, it's just kind of like the pure essence of love. I, I think that that's the root of who we are. And uh, so however you want to think about that, if it's in the spiritual way, you know, if it's just kind of like an, ener- an energy thing or whatever, I would just say that that, to me, that's what it's all about. It's just kind of like the pure essence of love. I would also say that I think um, you can probably boil down every single um, decision that we make in life where it comes from a place of love or fear, right? And I think mm. fear is a very kind of like human experience. It's something It's something that's just kind of a, a part of us as human beings, but the mm. essence of who we are. So this is kind of teetering now in like a spiritual way. And I try not to necessarily infuse that in psychology, but this is my perspective that that's kind of just that, like the, the pure energy of life, of love, right? The thing that continues us on. That's what I would say who we are. All the rest of it is just kind of part of that human experience, our thinking, mm-hmm. our, the feelings that come up for us, and also the actions that we you know, choose, that, mm-hmm. um, that these are a part of the human experience and we can identify with them. And it's a combination of a variety of things that help us have some concept of our human place in this, uh, on this earth. But the essence of us, I think, is just kind of uh, love.
Mm, beautiful, beautiful, and that, um, <laughs> and we can get all really philosophical with that one too, because yeah, you know I've done, sure, yeah, sure. psychology has quite a lot of research, fascinating research on love, um, and yeah. that's something for a future episode. Um, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it'd be great to get a love psychologist on. Yeah. <laughs> but um, um, I mean, in speaking about uh, the uh, you know identity and identity disorders, um, do you see is that often is that like pretty common in clients that that you get um people dealing uh with being gay and dealing with um issues of identity how common would you say that is in the gay community oh my god it's far more common than i think even my own community sees it right mm -hmm. um, or realizes it in their own lives because like i said before it's this kind of um surface idea that if i come out of the closet or i identify with this thing this identity that has been marginalized mm -hmm. if i actually publicly identify with that then i shouldn't have any shame and I shouldn't have any more issues. But of course we know that that's not true. Shame isn't necessarily something that we can do away with entirely. It's something that we manage. It's just a normal kind of human emotion and experience in life. And so it's about managing it, but the, it's, uh, it's kind of like uh, Brene Brown, who's kind of like a famous like shame researcher um, and talks about vulnerability. She says that shame is like a fungus that it can only exist in the dark. Um, so when you start shedding light on it, that's how we start to kill it. So anytime that we're denying shame that we have in our lives, like, you know, as a gay person, if I say, oh, yeah, no, I don't have any shame about gay. Well, then it's like a fungus in the dark. It's going to grow. It's going to have more power over you because you're denying it. And so it remains in the subconscious and you don't have an ability to work on it. Mm -hmm. But when we actually start to own it through vulnerability and say, like, yeah, I feel like I'm not enough. Yeah, I feel like I kind of fuck up in relationships and I'm not doing it right. And I don't know how, you know, to make one work. So I feel broken that that can be at least in part a product of the shame of growing up gay that tells me that, you know, right. there's something that there's something lacking. It can be very empowering. Em exactly. Empowering to, to admit those, um, those things that, I mean, are uh, very humanistic. I mean, all yeah. humans go through um, thoughts like that. So I just think, exactly. yeah, there is the shame around it. Um, and I think in a society that's built from shame, mm -hmm. for certain religions or, you know, certain cultures, are very much built on shame and it makes sense from like a um, um, social construct you know there's mm -hmm. you know like fitting in all that you know that's all like social psychology but I mean it's it can be very damaging so yes. yeah what are your thoughts on on that I mean some people I mean I don't want to name the religions <laughs> or the cultures, Oh, but. this is okay this is what I'll say about that I actually have a belief that most most people and most things at their core are uh, stem from love, are good, right? Mm -hmm. And so I actually believe that most religions come from this place as well. What I think is, you know, anyway, so I'll say like, uh, let's just say Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. Especially as a gay person, there mm -hmm. in, in my community of queer people, there's a lot of um, triggering that happens when it comes to religion because it's specific religions and like Christianity that says that being gay is a sin. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, cool, fuck you because I'm gay, so you're fucked up, I'm not, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like a lot of that stuff um, that can happen, but I still believe that um, at its core, something like Christianity is built on the foundation of love and kindness and how that can become the metric for success in life and the tool for you know kind of a meaningful life experience and all that kind of stuff but what happens is is that you know spirituality kind of placed in this uh religious 
structure, that's a man-made thing, right? Like that's very human designed, which means it's inherently imperfect and it's kind of wrought with all kinds of complexities and um, kind of negativity that can be brought into it. And, and it kind of gets agendas. bastardized and different agendas. And, you know, and a lot of people who are the most fear driven also tend to have the loudest voices at times too. Mm -hmm. So what you hear from certain religions does not necessarily mean that that's an accurate representation of that particular religion. It just happens to be one sect of it who's kind of putting their own spin and interpretation on things. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your, I, what are your thoughts yeah. about that? Though? What are your thoughts about <laughs> the role of religion? Like we mentioned uh, earlier, <laughs> before. <laughs> Come on, Serena. This is the time to get vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, I am I am uh, slightly existentialistic uh, in my in my thinking. Um, I am a self proclaimed um, agnostic, uh, yeah. for a lack of better categorization. That's just because I don't know how to categorize myself. Sure. So religion fascinates me. I actually thought about uh, minoring in world religion. And ah. I did take uh, religious courses. I, I took a Bible study course in college, um, a world religion course in college. So it, it's very fascinating to me because I think religion philosophy and psychology those three things are very similar yes in so many ways I agree. and they all influence each other and for me a lot of religion is really just philosophical like life philosophies that people follow 100 but yeah. it's when people uh, in my opinion it's when people like follow it to the core and they're like oh there's no change this can't change at all because it's yeah. written in the scripture you know um, it has been said yes exactly <laughs> and then and then you really have to question well who said it and then if someone's saying a deity said it, it was like, well, but I mean, are you sure? Yeah, show that? me the receipts. <laughs> show me the receipts. I don't trust it. <laughs> right. And society changes. And that's, that's my thing with it is like, you know, there is so much change that's happening all the time. So if, if um, something is written in stone, that mm -hmm. stone can't change, you know? Totally. I mean, yeah. Well, so this is, pro I think mean? that's problematic in general. Anytime that anybody is holding anything to a rigid standard, especially when it comes to things like religion. It's like, no, come on. All of this stuff is, um, it's like, it's like a soft science, right? It's right. like, we're throwing it out there with a certain, as a structure, but when we're leaning on it as, this, as if it's like the entire thing that is, you know, hundred percent, it's black and white and you have to follow it. Okay, come on. That's like, no, even something like mental health and psychology, it's a, psychology is a soft science, which yes. means that there's a lot of kind of like, there's gray area. So we're only throwing out theories here. You know, we're kind of saying like, this is, this is what we believe. There's a lot of, you know, kind of research and data and information that really supports this, but nobody's going to say this is a hundred percent. Like even in the medical community, that is a hard science. You will never have any research come up as a hundred percent accurate. It's always going to be 99% because they always has to be some small window of a margin of error. Right. Well, that's the that's the beauty of science is that um, it changes. Is that it always says yeah. like this is correct until proven wrong, but yes. there's room for it to be proven. In fact, the scientific community invites um, theories exactly. to be proven yes. wrong because then you learn more about it and then you discover more, right? So that's like for example the DSM uh, uh, or textbooks in psychology. Yep. Yeah. They change. They're not the same. You can't get the same textbook from ten years ago. You're going to be learning things that You're be outdated, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like totally. no, the, the psychology community. No longer homosexuality is not a mental illness right. like, yes exactly right. we need to make sure that these things are 
evolving, but you know, it's or just like an, Sigmund it's, Freud with the with yeah. the whole mother, the whole mother complex and the the, yes. the horse uh, Oedipus horse complex, Electra complex, all this yes, nonsense. I have to tell people there's still some people who think that you know because that's the um uh, the stereotype. There's stereotype of psychologists yeah. right yep. now. The stereotype is that you know psychologists all believe in Sigmund Freud and we blame everything on our mothers and you know everything's <laughs> a penis complex. Exactly. Like, no, that's actually, and I have to keep telling people that's actually like you know people don't really believe in that anymore <laughs> yeah it's like not everything maybe some things are a penis complex right. but not everything <laughs> right oh it's interesting because i love this conversation specifically about the need for there to be a structure and things for us to lean on as information and as guides but when it becomes so rigid it's problematic but i think that it, that also really speaks to a very normal kind of human response to things which is fear of change yes you know we just as part of our survival mechanism, we need to rely on things being consistent and the same because that's how we know what to predict and how to prepare for things. So we're going to be okay. And being able to evolve beyond that thinking mm -hmm. is what we need to do so that we then can move through our lives and make the changes that we need to and, and challenge our fears and being able to do that. But that's another reason why a lot of people cling to things is because they're just afraid of change. I mean, it's just that simple. Do you think that's why hoarders hoard <laughs> yes oh my god yes that's exactly why hoarders hoard because they project so much significance and meaning onto objects because they lack the ability to understand their own inherent worth and so there's so much that's placed on these things so many memories and stories and you know kind of you know who they came from or whatever it is they rely so heavily on that to have a sense of worth and value that they hold on to it they hoard things because they don't know how to reclaim their own love. That is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, people can hoard um, traditions as well, you know, or or absolutely uh, mindsets. Yeah. Yes. That very right. very interesting. Or analogy. compliments. People can hoard compliments, right? It's mm. so easy for people to be very critical, right? Like just thinking about like in a friend group or something. It's so easy to point out like I don't know if you should have done that or is I don't know is that really the right idea. But when somebody's doing something really well or is really thriving, maybe those same people wouldn't necessarily kind of dole out the compliments and the praise, you know? So people right. hoard that as well because they're afraid then that they won't have enough of their own love. They have to make oh, sure that wow. they're holding onto it. So it's so many different things that we can hoard. That is so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I love that we're going on all these different topics right now. Um, yeah. You know, I was just thinking um, uh, about with the whole multicultural thing <laughs> where we first started. Yep. Um, you know, a lot, oftentimes I see mental health in general as as almost like a multicultural um, identity. You know, people that obviously uh, do experience mental health issues, which actually is, a, I, I mean, a lot of people, even diagnosed or not, we all have some type of mental health, something like just like physical health that we're working on, right? Yeah. But people that are diagnosed with more severe mental health issues, um, that's another culture. That's another minority culture that, yep. that they feel. But it's actually not that minority because it's one in every four people in the world are diagnosed with a right. mental health disorder at some point in their lives. I don't like the word disorder. I mean, condition, you know, but, sure. um, yeah. but, uh, uh, and it, it's probably a lot more just because there's so many people. That yeah. That's only what's therapy. reported. Right. Right. So it yeah. could very well be like half could yep. very well be half of um, uh, the entire world population, um, yeah. you know, who knows. But um, 
you know, um, in speaking about multiculturalism and, and mental health and just trying to like wrap everything, you know, together and, and uh, with what you do and all of that, you know, how, how, how much like, like, would you say that um, the clientele the, of the gay community that comes to you are mm-hmm. really struggling with another uh, identity, another minority with um, mental health issues? I mean, does that go hand in hand? Like, does it, you know, does it, do you think like um, having a gay identity, like um, also increases the chances of having a mental health disorder? Um, I think that it, yes, it does increase, uh, the likelihood that they'll experience, you know, more mental health issues for sure. Um, for the reason conditions, that we're talking yeah. about, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, I guess maybe, um, a couple ways to answer that one is that, um, I think, and you were speaking to this also is we really want to make sure that we're thinking of mental health in the same way that we think of physical health, mm-hmm. that we all have mental health, right? Like we all have, we all have our physical bodies that we need to either take care of or not take care of, but that's what's going to, you know, impact our, you know, functioning. Same thing with our mental health. Like we all have our mental states and we have to make sure that we're checking in on that. It's just Um, health, right? It's Mm -hmm. just health, right? So we all have it. (laughs) Right. You know, you say mental health and you think like, oh, okay, he's bipolar. Oh yeah. Okay. He's got, you know, um, dissociative identity disorder or whatever. Right. Mental health is just the general state of our kind of mental well-being. Right. right. <laughs> and of course, there are people who also do have more significant, you know, kind of disordered um, uh, issues or, you know, kind of complex things that can come up in that front. And so when that is the case and there are, you know, kind of diagnoses and there's kind of more significant treatment that's happening, there absolutely can be a lot of shame around that because we live in a culture that tells us that, you know, you have to be, you know, you have to be okay. You actually shouldn't need anybody. You should be able to get through life on your own. And, you know, and if there's any kind of like major issues then there's something broken with you and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, right. There's just, we, there's all just different levels. And of that is there. really not the case because human beings are social creatures and they've relied on each other, like since the start of civilization. And if we didn't ask each other for help, we wouldn't be here today. Exactly. <laughs> like we- exactly. <laughs> it's so normal. It's so right. normal. But that's the thing. It's like, it's so normal in the same way that you being Asian is normal and me being gay is normal. Right. But we live, but we live in a world that for a variety of historical reasons, which maybe read cast and then you can uh, have some insight into it. But so these are social constructs that tells us that these things are not okay, that these things are wrong with you, that these things are less than. So when we understand that, right? So whether it's kind of more of like mental, mental health, Uh, significant struggles or um, race or sexuality or any of these kind of variety of multicultural identities and experiences that when we start to be aware of that and also what the society tells us or whatever Mm -hmm. larger culture tells us about Mm -hmm. that that's going to impact how we see ourselves Mm -hmm. well do you think that it's mostly stem from shame then the um it is okay I mean, listen, I, like, okay, the world, the world says, uh, or at least this country says that, you know, white is the standard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're not seeing a lot of Asian representation in, in a lot of the media that you're watching, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's telling you that white's the standard, you're less than, and so that's where shame comes from, this idea that I'm not enough, I'm less than. Mm-hmm. The world, same thing with me being gay. So it's like, mm-hmm. I'm not seeing as much gay representation as I do straight, I'm feeling mm-hmm. less than, and so yes, that's, the, that's a, at least in part one significant way that we experience shame. There's other things too, right? Like mm-hmm. there are legitimate mommy and daddy issues, family issues that come up, course, other yeah. kinds of uh, you know bullying and peer issues. But this is this is one significant lens to look through it. What about genetics? Also, the biological um, aspect of, of mental health. I mean, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm just uh, my question is, you know. <clears throat> 
do you think the mental health conditions that, that um, a lot of your clients have actually, do you think the actual conditions stem from shame? You know, how much of it stems from shame? Okay. So again, soft science, right? So nobody can kind of say anything definitively on this in any kind of like with specific, specific statistics. But um, I would say that, I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, the classic nature versus nurture, right? Like, are these things learned or are they, you know, encoded in our genetics? And I would say that um, it's probably both. That's, I think that maybe right. a lot of people would view that as a cop out, but I think that, that I think that it's actually both. No, it absolutely mm -hmm. is both. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got I remember... our genetic makeup and also our cultural and life experiences. Yeah. So it all shapes us. Right. No, one of the, one of um, my favorite uh, sayings that I, re I remember learning in psychology um, is genetics loads the gun and environment pulls the trigger. Yeah. So, yeah. So without the genetic predisposition, you know, you don't have the bullets, but you know, um, whatever happens in your environment may make yeah. whatever conditions come out, you know? Totally. Yeah. They influence each other. How interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh shoot. I had a, oh my gosh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, I wanted to add, yeah, even though, yeah, I, um, I know you're, you're calling it soft science and it's very well, maybe, but just for our audience out there, you know, um, psychology really does have a very strict research standard that yes. is very much scientific um, and follows a scientific protocol. You know, there's a hypothesis, you have to test it, you know, there's a, 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 all of that. And you have to like go through, um, you know, your statistics, your, your learn all about your bell curves and standard deviations and you know, yes. take a bunch of stats classes and there's a ton of research being done around psychology all the time yeah so, yeah serena saying... <laughs> going to bat going to bat for psychology it's yes. legitimate <laughs> yeah because i mean you know that's another thing that we're trying so hard to break is the taboo around like psychology as something that is actually helpful or real or you know totally. scientific listen and i and i i fully I, listen i fully appreciate and respect that i also kind of come from the perspective that i don't think that like we need to even necessarily prove anything you know what i mean like we don't have to really like go, we don't really have to like dig in deep i do appreciate that of making a very clear distinction for your viewers and listeners about it being a legitimate science that has a lot of work and a lot of research and everything that goes behind it um, yeah, so, you can't just yeah. publish, you know, anything. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're the test that you're doing and that's why yes. there's all the, the, you know, you have to like to conduct very strict protocols when you're doing totally. these psychological yes. tests. Yes. Um, you know, like, some people just don't realize that they're like, oh, you can just go out and test some people and like say, and call that psychology. It's like, no, 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 that's not yes. how it's done. No, totally. <laughs> you don't know the amount of work and effort and the very yes. strict things that go into this before you can actually publish a journal article that Fully. says we have found something i've done a bunch of research before i remember where, where like you know they're required um uh, assignments <laughs> i remember in class and unfortunately a lot of them we had no conclusive evidence <laughs> so uh, there were things i wanted to prove that you know we couldn't prove that we were which surprised. is information though right that's that's yeah. still legitimate data that's getting put out into this kind of larger body of data which is i thought this one thing was going to happen but it's coming up inconclusive so it actually this theory does not necessarily hold true at least within the context of this experiment right right absolutely, that's information yeah. too you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah and then also you know you might you might have done something wrong as well it might tell you something about your experiment that like exactly. you overlooked right that, yes. that might have influenced so psychology is so complicated you know, but that's because... also that's also life right yeah. it's kind of like in our in our own lives we're constantly experimenting with things and when things don't necessarily meet 
our ideal, we view it as a failure and we've wasted our time and it's no good. It's like, no, we get just as much from those quote unquote failures because we're learning what's not working and pointing us in a more, you know, kind of a more uh, accurate or effective direction. It's like, all of this stuff is good. All of this stuff matters. Right, right. I don't even believe in failure, so. <laughs> yeah, same. Me too, me too. Nice. <laughs> Great mindset. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, um, it's been lovely chatting with you. It's and been so, so nice. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, you know, uh, uh, wrap it up by, you know, I, I always ask, is there, are there any last words, um, you know, advice, inspiration, anything that you want to say to our audience out there? Oh, man, what would I say? <laughs> um, it's so funny, actually, because I do a podcast also. And at the end of it, we, we always call it like the hot message of the day. And we ask our guests. Oh. And so now here, you're asking me for my hot message. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, listen, I would just say that um, every single person struggles with shame. Um, so whether it comes from issues of genetics or whether it's um, issues within your family or whether it's, you know, very likely a lot of uh, multicultural issues and ways that you feel marginalized and not good enough through those cultural experiences and identities. We all have shame and that is normal and that's healthy and that's okay. And the more that we are able to own it and also know what that voice of shame and what kind of noise and static sounds like in our lives and have the ability to be vulnerable enough and courageous enough to share that, then that does take a lot of strength. Um, and that is the way that we can start to feel better in ourselves and do more of what we want to do in life. So that would be my message. Yeah, yeah. And also, I love what you said about the um, uh, feeling good enough, feeling mm -hmm. like you're not good enough, you know. And I think, um, you know, I always say these challenges are, are part of uh, what m makes humans beautiful as well, mm -hmm. you know, because otherwise, you know, the other side of the coin is like, if we always felt complacent <laughs> and like we were always good enough we never get anywhere you know that's the other right. side of the coin is like if we if we always um just thought like everything was enough um well human beings might not like come out with so many new inventions you know to fix problems that's or, true you know true. yeah do you but, mind i hate i hate to be a kind of a, a devil's advocate of, devil's advocate please here. do please but the one thing okay this is but i do feel passionately about this is yeah. that um when uh i'll just say this clinical research shows that positive reinforcement is far superior of a motivator than negative reinforcement so yes, yes shame and a belief that we're lacking sometimes can kind of push and nudge us to do certain things mm -hmm. but to have actually longer lasting and more meaningful change we want to champion ourselves and use positive reinforcement to do that not coming from a belief of you have to do this in order to be enough right. but coming from a place of i'm already enough what i'm doing is growing not trying to achieve adequacy and when we believe that then we don't chase after things, you know, we allow our hearts to guide us in a calmer way and a more sustainable way to achieve the bigger goals that we have in life. So I just wanted to kind of throw oh, that yeah, out there. Oh yeah, no, so. absolutely. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying like to use shame to drive anything. By the, yeah, Serena, stop shaming me. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, no, totally. I'm not, yeah, no, no. I'm just saying like, um, um, you know, I'm saying to everything has like a, that balance, you know, and it's different 
for yeah. everyone and we have to figure out what works for us, you know, because, um, you know, as a, a life coach always, you know, I always try to empower people. I always try to tell people, you know, yes, like the, the beauty of the human potential is that it's limitless and people don't realize that, you know, and I've seen, you know, a, a lot of times complacency can also stem from feelings of not being good enough either, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, because That's what yeah, keeps us stuck. Yeah. yeah, it's like tricking people, trick themselves to think that, you know, like, okay, this is as good as it's going to get. So let me just make myself comfortable, you know, and it's like, yep. and they just live a very comfortable lifestyle and they're never um, able to get past those self-limiting beliefs. Yeah. So that's what I was more talking about. Gotcha. I was, yeah, okay. talking about, um, yeah, like what's good enough for you and figure out where that comes from, you know, yeah. figure out, figure out like, is that society telling you bullshit things you know or yeah. you know is that your upbringing or is is that like you said not like coming from your heart and yeah. coming from you wanting to do the things that you love you know because um I know I set a lot of goals for myself but I always check in with myself like okay are these my goals or are these the goals that yeah. my parents told me when I was younger you know like yeah. whose goals are these or yeah. is this like because I actually want to do it like for for example breaking taboo you know we're mm -hmm. always trying to um um, break the mold, <laughs> yeah. set, set another standard, like yeah, always reaching something. So checking yeah. in with your intention and yes. being clear and conscious with why you're doing what you're doing and being able to challenge the bullshit and like really kind of dig into the, the more loving, uh, intentional stuff. Right. Like where yeah. is it coming from? Yes, you know? exactly. But then that's a whole other identity. It thing sure that, yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> oh wait, I, I have one more question for you, Matt. I was okay, wondering what's up? this as you were talking. Yes. Um, really really out there like you might not have a, a straight answer for this go ahead I'll, I'll give it my best okay you talked a lot about love right yes. um love 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 um and i love it i love the love <laughs> <laughs> meta meta love <laughs> yeah um but my question is what is love to you wow big question okay what is love to me yeah like what are yeah like what do you mean when you say that okay I think I would probably say, uh, this is probably a little bit more of a spiritual perspective on my, on my part, but yeah, I guess I would you, say, Matt. yeah, yeah as, kind of, yourself. so, uh, kind of, a um, kind of leaning back into something that I said earlier, I think that love is just the essence of who we are. And so I guess probably the best way that I can try to describe it is when we're feeling, um, when we just kind of feel like we can breathe and we're calm and we have, it's funny. So a good friend of mine, Keith, uh, he talks about his, he talks about his like Laurel Drive moment, um, which, which is in LA, there's Laurel Drive, right? It's kind of like cuts through the mountains from right, right. Kind of the city area into the valley. And mm -hmm. it's a beautiful drive. And he said, um, he was like, you know, there was this one moment when I was visiting LA because he lives in New York when I was visiting LA and I had rented a convertible and I'm out here in you know, sunny LA and it's beautiful. And I was driving through Laurel Canyon and he's like, and there was like Enya playing on the radio. <laughs> and I just Enya. felt like, yeah, I love Enya, right? It's so like soothing. And he was just like, and I looked around and I just took a deep breath and it was just like, ah, like it was just one of those fleeting moments <laughs> where it felt like everything is okay. I would yeah. say that's like the perfect description of like the purity of what love is, knowing that everything actually is okay. Everything has its order, right? And so that to me is love. And so when I'm able to, well, whatever fears and shame and feelings of inadequacy enough that I allow my heart to really show up as best as it can and to feel that and to then move through life in a loving way, not guided by fear and shame, mm -hmm. then that's, um, that's what I think 
helps grow and strengthen myself and also is the gateway to all the magic of the world, connecting with people in more meaningful ways, connecting with passion projects and interests and hobbies more you know, efficiently and authentically. And so that's probably the best kind of, you know, shortest way I could describe what love is. Mm, that's a, a beautiful, beautiful way to describe it. I love those feelings. I love it when yeah. you catch those feelings, you yeah, know, and same. yeah. And would you say that there's like many ways to catch those feelings? I mean, I know yes. some people meditate just, just to like yeah. feel at peace and calm. And then I know sometimes I walk by the beach or I go on my daily walks and I feel that and I'm just like, oh. or, or yes. I listen to my affirmations or something. Yeah. Like, everything is great. Everything's <laughs> fine. I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everything Definitely. is beautiful. This world is amazing. I love that. <laughs> Love. Same. There's so many different ways of doing it. One of my favorites is actually gratitude journaling. I write to, yes. like every every morning I sit down and do my gratitude. I used to, when I first started about seven years ago, I used to, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to write five things down. And eventually I'm like, why am I limiting myself? I'll just keep writing until I'm done. I easily can write 40, 50, 60 things. Wow. Down a day. Yeah. yeah, easily. That's a and that's what helps, <laughs> that's what helps promote the idea of abundance in my life and in the world. And then also within myself. And that's what helps calm me and not spin as much. Okay. Well, what are five things you're to close it off? <laughs> let's yeah. leave. Let's leave our audience with five things that you're grateful for. Five things today, I'm grateful for, and then I'll for. share five of mine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I haven't okay. done this I today this. yet. Yeah. Oh, so. perfect. Great. So it's like real time activity. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. I would say. I mean, come on. Number one is just being able to have this conversation with you. I think this is amazing. This is the first time that we're getting to have a real in depth conversation, and I loved it. So. Me too. That was my interest. top of <laughs> list. Top of list. Um, so I would say that um, a million percent my family, not just my given family that I was born into, but also uh, a group of kind of mainly gay guys that I'm very connected to. And they're such an extension of my heart and what gives me like real solid foundation in life. Um, for sure, my health. Um, for sure, the fact that my passion also doubles as my profession. Like I fully recognize that that's a privilege and I'm so grateful for that. Um, and, uh, what else? I'm going to say, um, cookies and ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> you just threw that out just there. Just got to keep it out there. Cookies yeah. and ice cream. Yeah. yeah no, that's All great. Right. Yeah. Summer. It's really hot. It's really, really <laughs> good time for that. Yeah. Ice, ice cream has been my quarantine food. Like, uh, I just it's my everyday food, so but okay. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What are five things you're grateful for? Um, five things I am grateful for. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have this really fun and amazing and uh, in-depth and, and um, uh, uh, interesting yeah. <laughs> conversation with you today, Matt. Um, yeah, I'm glad that we got to do this. Um, secondly, I'm grateful for breaking taboo. I'm grateful for, you know, all of the support that we have received. And, and I was just telling my team this yesterday, um, a couple of people on my team, but I'm like, you know what, it's, it's, um, it's the founder life type thing. It, it's really hard sometimes, you know, and you mm -hmm. feel, you do feel like you're alone, you know, uh, yeah. sometimes, you know, and I know that's a human experience, you know, we, we, everyone feels that sometimes, but as a founder, I think it's like, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, I'm doing so much and it's so lonely, but then like I have yeah. my team. So that's the third thing I'm really grateful for is my wonderful, amazing team mm -hmm. um, at Breaking Taboo that is like just so supportive of uh, everything um, you know, and everyone out there that, that we're helping, um, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to have this platform as well. Um, yeah. uh, fourthly, I am grateful for my health because, uh, this whole virus thing has yes. really put that in perspective. I think 
never really thought of my health um, on such a daily basis in this way before. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe my mental health, you know, but right. <laughs> I'm not my, my physical health now is what exactly. I'm talking about as well as like just really paying attention to yeah. that and being more in tune. And then I think I have five more. So, um, oh, I know. I, I really like these little, um, <laughs> they're, you can those Trader metal? Joe's. Wait, what are they? Oh, biscotti? Oh, par Parmesan crisps. No, oh, Parmesan, Parmesan crisps. Listen, oh I love the cheese and I love carbs. So yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my gosh. And and I can't find these anywhere else um, but Trader well, Joe's. And that's the magic them. of Trader Joe's. Sometimes they're out of it, but I but last time they weren't. And yeah. I, I grabbed like a whole bunch. And I'm like, what yes, I thing. have my favorite snacks now. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you, Matt. It's been so Thank great. You Thank so you so much. Yeah, and have a wonderful day. And um for all of our audience out there, uh, thank you so much for watching. This is Matt Dempsey, who's a multicultural counselor and a psychotherapist. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, got it right. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. We'll be in thank touch. Thank you, Serena. And uh, it was really great chatting with you. Same.